You see the message everywhere. If you want to recover from an eating disorder, you have to let go of all rules around food. You have to learn to listen to your body and eat whatever it wants, whenever it wants, without any rules. For most people, this sounds like the dream, especially because we live in a society infested with diet culture messages. But we also live in a society that isn't built for the neurodivergent mind, which means the whole rule-free approach to eating disorder recovery that works for neurotypicals may actually hinder the neurodivergers from reaching their unique version of food freedom. Welcome to Live Label Free, the podcast, where you'll learn to let go of limiting labels and embrace your unique brain. As my mom says so beautifully in her song, which is why on this podcast, you'll learn the scientific links between neurodiversity and eating disorders, giving you a deeper understanding of how you can face your fears and become truly free. Together, you and me, we will keep putting one foot in front of the other. Hello, hello, and welcome or welcome back to the Live Label Free Podcast. Whether you're listening on YouTube or listening via your favorite podcast app, hit that subscribe button if you haven't already, and please leave a five-star rating on Spotify. And if you feel so inclined, please write a positive review on Apple Podcasts and rate the podcast there as well. It's a completely free way for you to support the show so that I can continue providing you with free value and also having amazing guests on. Today is a solo episode, and in it, I'm going to share three reasons why food rules can actually be helpful for neurodivergent individuals, along with examples of food rules that helped me fully recover from an eating disorder as an autistic person. But before we dive in, I want to remind you that my memoir, Rainbow Girl, is officially available in all formats. Ebook, paperback, and now finally, the audiobook is live. If you haven't yet read Rainbow Girl in your preferred format, be sure to grab your copy at livelabelfree.com forward slash Rainbow Girl. Rainbow Girl is all about my life growing up undiagnosed autistic how this led to the development of an eating disorder, and all the steps I took to fully recover and become label-free. Whether you've already read the hard copy of Rainbow Girl or haven't even heard of the book, you can now immerse yourself in my story in a whole new way. Don't get me wrong, I love physical books and will forever be a reader of physical books, but let's be honest, life is busy and when you know Divergent like me, Sitting down to read can feel like a monumental task. Enter the wonderful audiobook world, which allows you to listen to my books so you can make those mundane tasks a little more enjoyable. Whether you're folding laundry, walking the dog, or relaxing with your favorite drink, 
listen to the Rainbow Girl audiobook today by heading over to livelabelfree.com forward slash Rainbow Girl. Oh yeah, and also, if you enjoy Rainbow Girl, it would mean so much to me if you could leave a rating and review on Amazon or Goodreads or both if you're so inclined. Not only do reviews show you support, but they help other people to find Rainbow Girl so we can shed light on autism and eating disorder stories of lived experience together. Thank you in advance for taking the time to show your love and now let's get into today's episode. Let's dive straight into reason number one. Neurodivergent individuals often struggle with interoceptive awareness. Interoception, also known as the eighth sense, helps you monitor the inner state of your body. It helps you regulate your emotions and understand whether you're hungry, thirsty, in pain, too hot, too cold, or any other sensation within your body. So if you're someone who lacks interoceptive awareness and therefore cannot interpret when you're hungry or when you're full, quote-unquote, intuitive eating in the way it's traditionally prescribed may not be very helpful. Instead, having rules around when and what you're going to eat doesn't only provide you with the structure and predictability, which I don't have to tell you, autistic people thrive off of, but it also ensures you gain or maintain a state of health that's optimal for your unique body. To give an example of a rule in my life when it comes to lacking interoceptive awareness is that I always eat breakfast within an hour of waking up. I actually did this throughout my entire eating disorder because back then I had a meal plan and would completely freak out if anything happened later because then it was quote-unquote too late and quote-unquote everything was messed up and more often than not I would have a panic attack and end up smashing bowls into the wall. I describe such scenes very vividly in my book Rainbow Girl including the smashing of my mom's teapot that she literally spent an entire day painting at the clay room in Brookline. So if you resonate and want to read a lived experience story of having an eating disorder as an undiagnosed autistic person, grab your copy of my book at livelabelfree.com forward slash rainbow girl. Anyways, coming back to the breakfast rule, when I was going through extreme hunger and would consistently binge later in the day, I would still feel stuffed in the morning, not to mention I wanted to quote-unquote start over and would delay food for as long as possible because I felt so guilty for eating so much freaking food. But, you guessed it, I would hold out for as long as possible and the moment I did start eating, it was like, boom! Now the food is here, so we're going to make use of this opportunity to get in as much as we can. And sure enough, I would binge my brains out, go to bed feeling like a bloated will, only to repeat the entire cycle the next day. Now, while not everyone listening to this has a history of a restrictive eating disorder, binging is very common among the neurodivergent for several reasons that I talk about in my podcast episode titled Autistic Types of Binge Eating. I share nine different reasons for why an autistic person may binge in that episode, so not going to go into too much detail here, but the reason I mention it is because to stop binging and to stop feeling crazy around food, it all comes down to safety and down to trust. 
When your body trusts that food is abundant, when your mind trusts that everything will be okay if you don't have the chocolate bar or the peanut butter or the ice cream looking perfectly smoothed out or having all your food choices make sense, there is no urge to binge. Just like restriction at the opposite end of the spectrum, binging or really any kind of disordered food behavior comes down to a lack of trust and safety. Therefore, having a structure and routine around food provides your body with a sense of safety because it knows it will get food. For me, because of my history of restriction and binging, having breakfast no matter what proves that food is abundant and therefore will lessen the likelihood that I'm going to binge later on. Now, reason number two, and I already alluded to it in reason number one, is that having rules around when and what you're going to eat reduces anxiety. Because one of my favorite quotes ever is, the opposite of anxiety isn't calm, it's trust. If you've listened to previous Live Label Free podcast episodes, including the one on alexithymia and the one in which I guide you through a practice to reduce anxiety, you've likely heard me mention that quote before. Let me elaborate on why it is so relevant to autistic people and how having food rules can reduce your anxiety. It's no secret that the world is not built for the neurodivergent. Being autistic in this world often feels like living in a constant state of fight or flight mode. You don't feel safe, so you're constantly on hyper alert mode, seeing every detail because every detail could be a potential threat. And this is kind of the overarching concept of the aforementioned traits and that is just that you don't trust your life. You don't trust that things are going to go the way you want them to or that people are going to accommodate you or even like you so you protect yourself through tangible certainties which often looks like doing the same things in the same ways at the same times in the same environments. So often this repetitive behavior is termed as rigid and problematic, but it's a freaking adaptation. It's an autistic way of adapting and creating safety and trust in an unsafe and untrustworthy world. That being said, why should you have rituals and routines in every aspect of your life except for something we have to do every single day, which is eating? Yeah, it makes no sense and honestly just shows a complete lack of understanding for any healthcare providers to expect and even encourage an autistic person to be able to eat without any kind of structure or rules around mealtimes. And I actually have a paragraph in Rainbow Girl that describes this perfectly, so I figured I'd drop a little preview of the audiobook, which I just still can't believe is, <laughs> is out, um, so that you can get a sneak peek, insider's look, or should I say listen, into something really relevant to this episode straight from Rainbow Girl. For years, treatment providers attempted to heal my eating disorder by attacking my autistic traits. I was told that recovery meant eating different foods every day, being okay with unpredictability, and learning to eat without a set structure. I was told that my preference for certain temperatures and textures was rooted in the eating disorder and that I would only be fully recovered once I gave up those desires. I was told that my obsession for color-coordinating foods to match was quote-unquote my eating disorder talking and that my literal perception of health claims was quote-unquote my disordered brain taking over. 
But what if all of these wants, these needs, had nothing to do with an eating disorder? What if all of these characteristics were simply autistic traits that had manifested as a problem with food and exercise? Because I was told to get rid of the very parts of myself that were intrinsically me, I felt invalidated and alone. I didn't understand why recovery seemed so impossible. I wanted it bad enough. Yet the more I tried to fit the mold of what I believed recovery to be, an ideal inflicted upon me by the external world, the more out of control I felt. And the more out of control I felt, the more I wanted to hold onto the very thing I'd held onto since the age of 11. My autism discovery gave me the permission slip I needed to recover on my own terms. It allowed me to choose a life free of an eating disorder while simultaneously embracing my neurodiversity. Rather than fighting my need for predictability and routine, I used it to stick to a way of eating that kept me healthy. My newfound awareness about interoception taught me that my body always needed nourishment, even if I didn't feel hungry. Understanding that an overwhelming number of food choices led to analysis paralysis allowed me to protect my energy and limit my options to an amount I could oversee. Most importantly, my autism discovery taught me that freedom and boundaries are two sides of the same coin. I always believed that a life of freedom was the equivalent of living without limits. When I discovered I am autistic, I learned that freedom means knowing my limits and respecting them without judgment. I simply don't do well in situations with unforeseen changes, lots of people, or a lack of privacy. I prefer knowing what I will eat beforehand, and I prefer eating it in a certain way. This doesn't make me disordered or wrong. It simply makes me the unique human I am. I believe knowledge is power and self-awareness is the key to a sustainable life of health and happiness. So as I obviously portrayed in the section of Rainbow Girl that you just listened to, having structure and routine is an inherent autistic trait of mine, and perhaps yours or someone you love, meaning that attempting to get rid of it through throwing all food rules out the window will do more harm than good. Taking away the thing that provides us with safety impedes our trust and thus results in anxiety. So aside from eating my breakfast every morning, another quote-unquote food rule I have for myself is to eat at least a certain amount of meals and snacks around certain times every day. I've definitely gotten a lot more flexible when it comes to allowing myself to eat earlier or at later times, and of course, accommodating my body's needs. So for example, eating more when I genuinely want more. But I've also found that having the structure in place really helps my body and mind to feel, yep, you guessed it, safe around food. Not only because I believe my history with anorexia is trauma, and so even the mere thought of restriction makes me anxious, but knowing when and what I will eat allows me to build my life in a way that I know is accommodating of my nutritional needs. Are you a parent or caregiver seeking to better support your autistic loved one struggling with an eating disorder? Well, I have some exciting news for you. Imagine this, a community where you can learn from autistic individuals with lived experience of an eating disorder and connect with other parents in the same boat as you in real time. 
Something I've learned through working with many parents through one-on-one coaching is that they want guidance from people with lived experience, but they also want a community of other parents that are desperate to support their autistic child through recovery from an eating disorder. So me being the passionate problem solver I am, I figured why not bring my own perspective of autistic-friendly eating disorder recovery together with your parental lived experience to create a program that both supports and empowers caregivers to support their autistic loved ones struggling with eating disorders. I'm thinking live group coaching calls with 24-7 access to an autistically ED-free community and tons more research, resources, and guest experts to help you understand how you can best support your autistic child to full recovery from an eating disorder. But here's the deal. I will only launch this program if there's enough genuine interest, meaning your voice matters. That being said, if you are interested in learning more about this program and potentially joining other parents just like you, please sign up for the waitlist at livelabelfree.com forward slash group. So that's livelabelfree.com forward slash group. I cannot wait to embark on this empowering journey with you and other superhero parents out there. And now let's get back to today's episode. The third and final reason I'll be talking about today for why food rules can be helpful for autistic people is that they can make it easier for you to challenge the aspects of your life you want to change. To explain what I mean, it's good to circle back on something I talk about in Rainbow Rule, and that is the nature of labels. There are two types of labels, which ultimately can be seen as rules themselves. The first type of label or rule are those stemming from fear. An example might be the rule that you cannot eat sweets out of fear you'll gain weight or develop diabetes, and if you do have that, latter fear, be sure to check out one of my recent podcast episodes all about the fear of becoming addicted to sugar and developing diabetes because that is a fear that I had as well um, that fortunately never came true. Anyways, the second type of label or rule are those stemming from love. These types of rules improve your functionality as they aid in understanding yourself and help you to set boundaries to accommodate your needs. The rules I mentioned prior about eating certain amounts at certain times stem from a place of love as they optimize my functionality and therefore improve my overall quality of life. Going even further though, the implementation of rules can actually be a tool that can aid in recovery from an eating disorder. You can create food rules such as eating at certain times, eating more, and challenging yourself to a higher number of calories or fear food on certain days, but you can also create rules around other aspects of your recovery, including exercise and people-pleasing. To give an example, I still set rules for myself about how long I can be at the gym. Not only does this help me maintain my energy, because sometimes I'm unable to tell when I'm tired, and this goes back to the interoceptive awareness that I talked about in reason number one, but it also provides me with a sense of trust because I know exactly when my workout will start and when it will end. Now, to some people, this may sound very compulsive, but that label compulsive is negative meaning it would only be compulsive if my intention behind the rule was stemming from a place of fear. 
Establishing set times around my movement habits for me stems from a place of love because structure of any kind is my preferred way of approaching everything. <laughs> and as I just explained, rules help us challenge the things we want to change. But this also works vice versa because we can always change the rules. There were rules I had to set for myself during recovery, one of which was no exercise or movement because I was not yet in a healthy place in that department. But as I just mentioned, and if you follow me on Instagram at LiveLabelFree, you know I now love to move my body and so my movement rules look different now. <laughs> I was able to change the rules. Or another rule that's changed over time. When I was still very attached to calorie counting, I set rules for myself that I had to eat at least a certain number of calories per day. By setting this rule in place, I was able to challenge my fear of eating more while respecting my desire and therefore creating continued safety of attaching numbers to things. But then as I gained my life back and no longer needed to rely on external entities to feel safe, I was able to stop counting calories and now the rule about how much I eat in a day is much more flexible and adaptable to my ever-changing needs. To wrap up, setting rules that stem from a place of love are all about creating order, whereas rules stemming from fear create, you guessed it, disorder. Rules, labels, foods, preferences, whatever. Nothing is ever inherently good or bad. Life is all about setting it up in a way that supports you so that you can live in alignment with your values and ultimately have the freedom to do all the things you want to do. If following rules helps you do that, then that's wonderful. And if being spontaneous and living without rules helps you do that, also wonderful. Everyone is so different, which is of course also wonderful. And the moment we can embrace and respect those differences, is the moment we would finally have world peace. Anyways, that's all I have for you today, my friend. If you appreciated this episode about food rules, I would love to hear from you. You can contact me via Instagram at livelabelfree or send me an email, livia at livelabelfree.com. And if you want guidance on your eating disorder recovery journey as an autistic person and perhaps would find it useful to work with me to create your own rules that stem from love, be sure to schedule a consultation call for one-on-one -on -one coaching with me by visiting the link livelabelfree.com forward slash schedule. I cannot wait to talk to you in real time and otherwise I'll talk to you in the next episode. Bye-bye for now. In front of the other And you'll see Around the corner soon This podcast has been recorded by your host, Liv. This podcast has been edited by my small but mighty Live Label Free team. And the beautiful song, One Foot in Front of the Other, that you are now listening to was written and recorded by my beautiful mom, Louise Alexandra. I am so grateful for my team and everyone who supports Live Label Free. Together, we are always stronger.